and welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who is an expert in clauses, both independent and dependent. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Hey, doing all right, Kieran. What a day. I've had some weird days on the Tigers beat. <laughs> this might be the weirdest of them all. Yeah, can you imagine if this was the trading deadline that you were kicked off Twitter? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, it would have been fine because uh, everyone went dark on me when stuff was actually going down. I, I, I wasn't tweeting that much today. <laughs> well, things and... <laughs> got so weird that everyone zipped up, had to zip up their lips. Man. I don't. I, I don't think. I don't think people internally knew what was going on either. There for a little bit. Well, it came down to the last couple of hours for the Tigers, which we kind of anticipated that Scott Harris was gonna take this down to the wire and in doing so he did land a trade partner for Michael Lorenzen that is a minor league infielder high U Lee hope I'm saying that correctly he's 20 years old was the number five prospect in the Philly system I saw someone put on Twitter I apologize I don't remember no who no actually someone wrote about it there's not a trade deadline without Dave Dombrowski trading a prospect for a veteran so shout out Dave friend of the podcast uh, seems like a good trade. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But the news of the day in Detroit, and really baseball at large, because I was going through the archives of ESPN.com, and it was like seven guys who should be traded. And it was a picture of our boy, Eduardo Rodriguez, who did not get dealt. And the only real news update we had up until the end of the trade deadline, which was 6 o'clock Eastern, 5 Central, was that he had the a trade had been agreed to with the Los Angeles Dodgers seemed like a perfect move that would satisfy all parties involved just on the surface Dodgers great player development system connections with the Tigers and their player development system Eduardo postseason proven pitcher it all made a lot of sense Cody until it didn't so uh Eduardo, still a member of your Detroit Tigers for the rest of this season at least. Uh, before we kind of get into the analysis of the moves or lack thereof, uh, can you paint a picture, Cody, as you're reporting this story? Not Well, it's obviously a story, but action, in action, and then Scott Harris kind of has to go on. Uh, he talks with you guys. He talks on the broadcast, uh, the Valley Sports broadcast. Kind of repeats the same lines there. We'll talk about some of the words that he used here in a second. But from your perspective, what, 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 what went on in this kind of crazy day of... Uh, of a, I would say a satisfying trade deadline from an interest perspective, but not necessarily from a Tigers fan perspective. Yeah, if you're a Tigers fan and you look at the ultimate return and the deals that were made, I, I don't think uh, many people are satisfied. Interest-wise, you know, Ken Rosenthal, my colleague, had tweeted earlier in the day, or uh, whatever you do on social media now that it's X, you just post on <laughs> X, I guess. I don't know. It uh, doesn't have the same ring to it. Anyway, Ken Rosenthal had put out there that you know, Dodgers were suitors for Erod, but they were on his 10-team no-trade list. That was interesting. Uh, I knew Ed Eduardo had the clause, didn't know what teams were on it, had a little bit of a hunch it might have been West Coast teams for family reasons. His family's in Miami. Obviously, he had the family issue last summer, I think, time around his kids and his wife. Probably probably pretty important to him, maybe even more so than the average guy. Uh, but that comes out, and it seems like they're still trying to work through a deal. And then I think it was, well, let me just look. It was... Uh, you know, three, about three 30, I first got wind that, Hey, I think Eduardo has nixed this deal. And, 
Unfortunately, wasn't able to get that confirmed before Jeff Passan, but Jeff Passan puts it out there. The deal was dead. Eduardo nixed it. And everyone in the industry real quick was like, whoa. And you saw social media exploding. Why would someone from Detroit not want to go to L.A.? You know, why would you not want to pitch for the Dodgers in the postseason? Pretty valid takes, really. I uh, didn't love Detroit catching strays in there, but that's, you know, whatever. It's more organization and, and city, in fairness. Right. Well, I saw a couple city-related <laughs> tweets, and I was like, all right, I wasn't. But that, I don't know. And then and then it's trying to piece together what happened. How did this happen? How did this go down? Why did Eduardo uh, veto this trade? And then when the deadline comes and goes – why was he not moved anywhere at all? Not just the Dodgers. Now the Tigers keep Eduardo Rodriguez. Not only did they not deal Eduardo, they didn't deal Jason Shreve. They didn't deal Jose Cisnero. They didn't deal Alex Lang or Jason Foley or any other controllable guys. They didn't deal anyone. All they dealt was Michael Lorenzen. I thought they got a solid return for Lorenzen. Uh, but it's kind of crazy to think there was one move made with all the trade ships they had. They didn't move the biggest and most important one. And they didn't even make some of the smaller, obvious, kind of boring moves. Yeah, so a couple things. Actually, the smaller, obvious, boring moves in a general sense is kind of where Scott Harris has buttered his bread uh, so, so far in the te- in his tenure as a GM. So I am a little surprised there wasn't a little bit more rounding out the edges, a little bit more organizational depth uh, moves. I, th- I think that's a really astute point you just made. And I got the sense, talking to Scott today, that he- he just wasn't that interested, you know. If he thought he there, there wasn't a trade that would merit a good return, he didn't want to be moving players just to be moving players. But you're supposed to be skilled at finding talent on the margins. That's, that's one way to do it. Okay, so okay, that actually brings up the larger point, though, is that if there's you don't want to move players to move players, then that's that notion, however correct it is, is exactly why when the Dodgers thing falls through, you don't trade Eduardo. You see what I'm saying? And not to say that that's – there's not really a huge net benefit that I'm seeing on the horizon by keeping Eduardo. In my, like, unless there's something we don't know, unless there's something that would be surprising, like him not opting out next year. And even then, some people would argue you'd want to clear the books of a thirty you know, guy going into his age 31 season, blah, blah, blah. There's, you know, certainly been some interesting yeah, things that have happened with Eduardo. That's the other it's the other thing, you know, for as much as uh, it's like, oh, Eduardo's going to get a lot on the open market. Now that you, if you look at it from a little different perspective, he's only pitched more than 150 innings in a season twice in his career. And he's put the Tigers in a really bad position two years in a row. Yeah, and I, we didn't. But I think because you didn't trade him, like, now you have to try to sign him. And I'm not optimistic that the Tigers do it because I just think, I think that would be malpractice if Eduardo opted in. Or, or, or did not exercise his opt-out because I just think he's going to get more money on the market. Uh, so I think that'd be bad from his from his agent's standpoint. And then once he hits the market, there are probably going to be some contending teams bidding on him. Now, granted, maybe he's just devalued himself if he doesn't want to go anywhere on the West Coast. He doesn't want to go to the Dodgers. And, and he might have sullied his reputation a little bit with some of the oddities we've seen from him in the past two years. I guess that's one thing. Um but I think that's ultimately where it leaves us. The Tigers don't have a lot of leverage. They have to try to sign, re-sign Eduardo Rodriguez. And I am just not confident that that's going to happen. Well, see, that, so that was actually something I had written down earlier. I have a list of sort of like questions, some answerable, some not. 
and one of them is do you double down on a mistake or double down on a misplayed hand and sign him to whatever contract would be agreeable for a guy in his situation is that better just to save face and you know what i mean like i could ar- i could argue that that's sort of doubling down on again i don't want to say the word mistake but like doubling down on a miscalculation of the asset of which that you have on your team because I don't know if it really accomplishes all that much to just give him a pay raise uh, at this point or a year raise on his contract. Uh, it, it might just be something you have to swallow. Like if you were dead set on trading Eduardo Rodriguez and you had your reasons and you had you know what you know your, your colleague who covers the Dodgers, uh, Fabian, did I say that correct? Uh, yeah. Uh, he called it an enticing package. Obviously, didn't go into I, details. I don't, I, I don't know who the players were, but I've I've heard I, it was multiple players, and and I think the Tigers were pretty excited about the return they almost got. Yeah, so you were ready to deal him for what I assume were young bats and probably like maybe a you know like a high A pitcher just to you know get another arm in the system or whatever you know those kind of things or you know like a catcher those battery positions are typically a lot of throw-ins in these trades but sometimes they work out to be the best asset shout out jake rogers so i just i just don't know like from here forward so we can lament the move or the move that wasn't made or the actions that led up to it maybe zeroing in these are this is all speculation on my part zeroing in a little bit too much on the dodgers uh, and maybe dismissing some other offers on the table, and then it was too late once the whole L.A. thing blew up. Uh, we can lament all that, but moving forward, I just don't know if it is healthy for your organization to give this guy more money in more years when he is a good player when he's on the field, but he had a freak injury this year. Now, granted, he came back from it, I guess, a little bit faster than we thought, and He's, we're still kind of waiting for that form to regain, but his overall numbers this year are good. And then he had the personal situation last year, which I don't want to make light of, but it is a real thing. As soon as he got face of the organization money, you know, there was something going on in his life that he had to miss extended absences. And he didn't, I, I think it's fair to say he did not handle that well. I, that, uh, that's the whole thing. Beyond that, it's, it's like he put the team in a bad position when he was not communicating with them last year. I mean, it seems, I guess we don't fully know. He didn't talk. We don't necessarily know his side of the story. It seems like he put the Tigers in a bad position at this trade deadline by indicating that he would be open to waiving the no trade clause to the Dodgers, and then he didn't. That's what it sounds like is is what happened. I don't know if there was ever a firm or a clear yes, but you talk to some people who have an understanding of what went down, and, and it seemed like the Tigers were trying to get on the same page with Eduardo, and they didn't and it didn't happen and so that that makes it just sound like a train wreck all the way around sounds like eduardo did not handle that well and that ultimately does not excuse the tigers for not moving him and having this deal fall through if the tigers weren't able to get on the same page or get a clear understanding of what's going on in the players heads that's still on them it's on them. It's on Alavila for the contract of which you know Eduardo was signed to with the 10, 10 team no trade uh, exemptions. And and to be honest, like there's ways around this. And I would also say that if the Dodgers really wanted to, they could have figured this out too. 
Like if, if if Eduardo was that important to them, there's probably some contractual mechanism. Yeah, I'm I, I'm sure there were some kickbacks and and concessions being discussed. I don't know what level all that got to. So, but you make a decent point. So, to to me, like it, if he would have traded him for sorry to catch a stray here, Donwell Lugo, is that like is that was that gonna make everybody happy? You know what I mean? Like I I just feel like once. Once the Dodgers thing fell through, there was a no win for Scott Harris. Now that's not excusing him, but there was basically a no yeah. win for Scott Harris there. The criticism is more of what led to the trade falling through and his own miscalculations of the situation, more so than not doing anything in the last twenty minutes of, of the deadline. Yeah, uh, of which like you put yourself in a bad situation, but once you're in the bad situation, he obviously didn't make it worse, which I think he was fully capable of. And then if you just give eduardo another bag i'm just not sure that's really making your team long term like healthier and better if that makes sense no i i think you make an interesting point in that is it even worth trying to re-sign eduardo like it does seem like what you have to do to save face but hey if you're gonna spend on a pitcher of that tier maybe aaron nola is a better use of that money like that's that's something we can spend all you know october november talking about on this pod um I don't know what offers Scott Harris did or didn't have in like the last 20 minutes. And even Scott said like, it's not, it's not necessarily that easy. It's not like you think on Twitter or TV where uh, you just call up another team and boom, you got a deal. But I, I think a lot of factors led up to this. I talked to a lot of people around the league and it didn't seem like they were very enamored with how the Tigers were acting and what they were asking for over the past week. Sounds like asking prices were really, really high, perhaps unreasonably high, and that the Tigers seemed pretty intent on waiting it out, believing they had the power, believing they had the cards, and believing it wouldn't backfire. And it, in the case of Eduardo Rodriguez, it seemed to backfire. Um the only guy they made a deal with was Dave Dombrowski, who uh, <laughs> has no problem dealing prospects. Uh, and a guy they, Scott they, Harris had already traded with before, so he just kind of went right, back to the well right. a little bit. I know, and then again, like Shreve, like uh, Cisnero, look, you're not getting a ton back, but I don't know. You got Reese Wilson for Daniel Norris. You got Sawyer Gibson Long for Michael Fulmer. Like, these guys are helping out your big league team, giving you some length, giving you some arms when you need it. It's not franchise-altering moves, but like, I think adding some depth to your system is going to be more valuable than the next two months of Jose Cisnero. So uh, I, I think there's a lot that doesn't seem like it was handled very well by the Tigers. And you look at it, it's like, okay, you, you made one move. Like you're trying to build up this organization, trying to add talent to the system. Here's your chance. And you come away with a 20 year old infielder. Kid looks pretty good. He controls the strike zone. He's a versatile infielder definition of a Harris kind of guy. It seems like, but like, uh, he's not helping the Tigers next year or probably even the year after that. Yeah, so that leads me to like another question that I had written down. Was Scott Harris exposed? His inexperienceness exposed here. I think the argument think- can certainly be made that um, if teams were not so keen on what his asking price was and no one other than the Dodgers came close to that asking price. It kind of tells me he kind of miscalculated a little bit. And, and then again, be it 
however much fault Eduardo has in this, he miscalculated how far they were along in this Dodgers deal. Because if he if he had any sense of this tepidness that Eduardo or his camp or his family or whatever were going to display here, then you would have had like another trade. At least you could make a phone call about. But then again, who's holding all the cards if you call, let's just say, like the Baltimore Orioles at 545? Who holds all the cards there? Baltimore does because they're oh, th- yeah. they're thinking that you're desperate to move him, and so that offer maybe that they kind of threw at you earlier in the day, or earlier in the week, last week or whatever, it's probably cut in half. Yeah, and that, and that's not what you want to do. That's kind of what you know. I don't know if that's actually what happened in Alavila trades. But that's kind of how always how Alavila trades were perceived. Like you asked too much, then you got desperate. But I I don't know. That would have been something, right? Um, it does the whole situation. I don't know. It's really weird. It, the opt out. The, will I waive it? Won't I waive it? Like it seems strange on Eduardo's part. I've been around Eduardo. Like he's he he, he operates in kind of a strange fashion. But I don't know. Like it's it, it's hard for me to picture like Brian Cashman letting that happen or Andrew Friedman if he were on the other end of this trade letting that happen or you know. Seems like maybe what could happen to a first-year GM. Yeah, and you know what? It's not like it's a surprise to any any other uh, president of baseball ops that Scott Harris in his first year. Like, you think they're trying to do him any favors? They're probably trying to work him over, you know? And so it, it, it just seems to me this was a case of misreading the market, misreading your situation, and then maybe just not having a, a strong enough contingency plan because you got to be able to pivot and and you would have been because I know you can't make a trade from nothing after this falls through because there's too much research that needs to be involved and all these prospects and you know and analytics guys got to run them and blah 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 but there was probably a framework of something you would would have accepted with other teams and by the time we knew about it he knew about it uh, a little sooner than that and there ought to have been a move. But if they were just going to give you nothing, like I think, I honestly probably think it was probably worse to give up Eduardo for no, uh, for next to nothing in the minor leagues than just pitch him out the rest of the year. And if he opts out, you know, thank you for your service, Mr. Rodriguez. Because there is the element of you're still, I'm not saying I'm, I'm hanging on to this, but the bottom line is you're still not that far out of the division race despite how poor the team is playing right now. I actually thought when that trade didn't go through, the Eduardo trade, I was like, is there going to be like a mid-buyer move coming up? Because it was like, hey, what the hell? That'd be hilarious. <laughs> like, this, like, the Guardians, like, sold Aaron Savali. Like, what if the Tigers, like, stumble back into, like, two or three games out of first place? That'd be kind of hilarious. It's, it's not out of Eduardo the Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, is a September hero. Wouldn't that be hilarious? <laughs> And then Maybe it's on turning the corner. Just you know, what were they saying when when Eduardo wasn't traded at the deadline? Uh, no, I I don't know. I don't know if that's gonna happen, man. This team needs a this team needs a lot of help. Uh, this team just got beat by the Pirates. Like I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, rather unceremoniously, the uh, Spencer Torkelson. I don't know what the actual distance was, but uh, on the radio, Dan Dickerson said 385 foot fly out. 
Uh, that was kind of the epitome of the Eduardo Rodriguez trade, where you thought you had it. <laughs> it's a 385-foot flyer. <laughs> Only they would have brought the fences in a little more, you know. Lower the wall, get rid of the no-trade clause, and maybe it gets out of here. Uh, by the way, by the way, I think we are okay, so we're like 20 minutes into this. This is a pro-labor podcast, so I also want to give respect to Eduardo Rodriguez for uh, – Standard using ground. using his contractual, contractual right. his contractual right that he negotiated that you know some people kind of poo poo this whole like why would you want to get trade thing just a general premise if you don't want some, your boss to move you somewhere else and you have the ability not to do it then you do it more power to you pro labor podcast good at Eduardo <laughs> for getting this in his deal and then exercising it you know like that's 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 what CBAs and contracts are all about all right so just. Just, uh, I just want to kind of get that in the air there. Uh, another unanswerable question. Is this something that maybe, maybe could have resulted from Scott Harris having maybe too much on his plate since he does not have, as president of baseball ops, a general manager? Could a general manager have aided this process? Uh, I guess every team's different with how they divvy up duties and and all that stuff but scott harris was never in a hurry to hire a general manager and this was an instance where again from the outside looking in it looked like he was undermanned in this process to to not be able to figure out an eduardo rodriguez trade yeah i don't buy that one i saw someone had put that on twitter i don't think this trade deadline looks a ton different if scott harris hires a gm i think one of the misconceptions that um, kind of a more casual sports fan might have of how these things go down as this Scott Harrison, it's his, his phone and he's in his office and he's calling 29 other GMs trying to make a move. Like there's a staff of people who work on this, even though he doesn't have a general manager, he has, I believe three assistant general managers. And I'm sure uh, Sam Minzen and Jay Sartori were working on this. You have analysts, like you have other people working the phones and talking to other teams so he had support staff doing that, even if their title wasn't general manager. Um, I guess maybe you could argue like one more person. A guy with connections, an older guy maybe. Uh, 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 you know, we're, how about a woman, Kieran? True. You want a woman in your front office, yeah. you know? True. Um, no, like like anyone, uh, man or woman, like in that position uh, could be, I guess, helpful, but – I reject the notion that like not hiring a GM is, is, is a, by now is a failing of Scott Harris or related to what, what went down at this deadline. Okay. That just seems like too simplistic basic of yeah. an explanation. Yeah. Well, what about his comments to the media? Like, like I mentioned the talking points. He, I actually thought he was kind of honest in, in what he was saying. Like I, that's about as honest as I think I can remember him in situations, especially like the drain of, all this time leading up to the uh, to the trade deadline, I, I have to imagine he wasn't feeling his best. You know what I mean? And, no. and, and so, like, but I thought he was kind of honest. But then I also thought, like, man, this is a tough thing to talk about because you got to say, like, basically Eduardo blocked this, but also we love Eduardo. And then he kept using <laughs> right. he kept using the term consolation prize, which I understood what he was getting, what he was getting at, and that's just kind of like a simple thing to say. And you're giving these quotes to the media, and I understand. So I'm not necessarily criticizing the words here. But it also, it also was kind of like, 
I don't know. I don't know if I loved it, like using the term consolation prize to keep Eduardo, have one of the best lefties in baseball pitching every fifth day to give you a chance to win. And like I said, he said that like five or six times on Bally and then, you know, to you guys. But, you know, your interpretation of Scott Harris and how honest uh, he was, again, I'm not putting words in your mouth. He seemed pretty, pretty honest to me when speaking to the media. And uh, he gave a glimpse. I don't, I'm not sure it was very satisfactory to the fans but he gave a glimpse he gave the fans something i thought at least yeah i th- he was almost more honest than i thought he would be uh i thought it would have been easy for him to go on there and say you know oh we were never really looking to move eduardo unless we you unless know, we were blown away or I, something. you know some, some of these things you see on social media like that's not the full story of what happened um, he was more forthcoming that there was a trade on the table and that, uh, Eduardo, you know, he used the term was not comfortable with it. Um, so he, he, he phrased it very gently, gently. He maintained support for his player and, and, uh, respecting his player exercising his contractual right. But I think he gave people like a bit read between the lines idea of kind of what happened and how this went down and. And he was honest about it. At the same time, he, you know, said the positive stuff, said he's not disappointed by this trade deadline. So they added talent and the guy they got from the Phillies. Um, I don't know how much, you know, I, I, I really believe that he's not at all disappointed with how this went down. Um, that's that one's hard to believe. But no, he was it, 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 he was more forthcoming than uh, I think some some executives might have been in that situation. Yeah, so on Bally... It's I, a tough situation. I, yeah. I was saying that before he got on. Like, I did not envy that because you go on there and, man, what are you supposed to say? Like, you, you really can't rip your player. I mean, I, I guess you could, but especially as a first-year GM, that's that's pretty dangerous. And but you can't say he, you're so great to yeah, have him because you tried to trade him. So it is like right, a, right, it, is right, a, right. it is a weird balance. So he, he he did, I think, as good as he could have in that in the situation. He referenced on Bally Sports that his objective was to add young hitters. So obviously that goes into the Lorenzen trade, and so I assume the potential Eduardo trade would have involved a couple at least uh, young hitters. Uh, and in regards to Lee, he said he does a lot of what we look for in young hitters. You know, the philosophy he talked about controlling the strike zone. He seems like a fine prospect. I think. I think if Eduardo Rodriguez was not on this team, you would look at this Michael Lorenzen trade as like the same way we thought of the Soto trade and the same way we thought of the Jimenez trade, where it's like, all right, so you got rid of a pitcher who you like, who's good, but how good is he really? And you got somebody with potential, a hitter with potential, a versatile infielder, can play all three positions, not first base, and he's going to be in West Michigan like I said, number five prospect in the Philly system. I think MLB Pipeline is going to slot him in at number six uh, for the Tigers. 20 years old. So Scott said he's like two and a half years ahead of schedule or whatever in terms of average age per minor league level. So again, take that for whatever it's worth. He was an international signee from Taiwan, so that's pretty cool. Uh, we'll have to see what happens. But I think this Erod thing overshadowed what was a pretty solid move in the Michael Lorenzen trade. And also... The epitome of what Scott Harris wants this organization to do, and he mentioned this. He's like, and I, and Lorenzen more or less said it too. Is like, you bring in guys, you maximize them, and, and and you make them better, and you sort of like take care of them while taking care of yourself. And I, I have to imagine Mike Lorenzen's going to look back at his time in Detroit 
quite fondly. He was an all-star for the first time. He got traded to a team that's the defending pennant champion and obviously is trying to still like get back to a World Series and win it. So, like, I, I think this was, like, a pretty solid move. This is exactly the, the Scott Harris wheelhouse, but it's going to be overshadowed by your inability. It's like, a, it's like a singles hitter not able to, or, you know, singles doubles hitters not able to get it over the fence. You know, it's like you feel, you feel good about this aspect of it, but we haven't seen Scott Harris be able to do this aspect of the job, and this was his opportunity, and however much was his fault, it just didn't happen. But the Lorenzen deal is a good deal. I don't want us to sound too sour. It's a good deal there. Yeah, this is one of those things. Like, I'm sure if Scott were listening, you know, he'd be like, oh, everyone's just talking about the bad stuff. Like, no one's talking about I made a pretty good trade today. And and, and he did. Like, it was about the return I would have expected for, for Lorenzen. I had heard, like, a Tier 2 prospect. I'd characterize Lee as probably a Tier 2 prospect. He's not a top 100 guy, but he was well-regarded in the Philly system. I think he was ranked their number five guy. He's got good numbers in the minor leagues. Like he's a little bit lower level, but as we talked about before, hey, if you like the player, that's fine. Um, got Edis Leonard from the Dodgers for cash considerations. You know, he's kind of on the fringe of their 40-man roster. Makes sense as a guy who can like fit in with the Tigers for a little bit. Nothing to get excited about there, but uh, no, the, the Lorenzen thing was an organizational victory from start to finish, just like Scott and Michael talked about. They signed this guy. They thought he was undervalued. They maximized him. They traded him. Um, that's something good organizations do. In a way, though, I think it highlights kind of the failure of the Erod situation more. Scott, day one, talked about stacking good baseball move on top, top of good baseball move. Signing Lorenzen was a good baseball move. Trading Lorenzen was a good baseball move. You do enough of these good baseball moves, your whole organization gets more talent and starts to get better. Uh, but with Erod, you're you're not doing that. You're you're staring right in the face of losing him for nothing. Yeah, and or as we talked about earlier, doubling down on a miscalculation and giving yourself more years and more money of obligation yeah, to a guy. Yeah, not necessarily a good thing. Sure. So. All right, that's about 30 minutes. Is there anything else, uh, Cody, you want to get out of here as we approach midnight Eastern time? I think I think that covers it. I feel like uh, we could probably make these same points over and over. I'm sure there are more little nuggets from deadline time that I'm forgetting. So it's such a hectic day. Maybe we can circle back to some of this stuff next week. But uh, that that's good for now. Thanks to everyone for staying up late and, and following along. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and being patient. I I logged eighty hours last week of work. I was on this work Ooh. trip and uh, and you know had a couple pops every night afterward as well. So it was a pretty pretty long uh, pretty long week plus. I felt a little bit like you, Cody, because I was in the same hotel room for eight straight nights. And I was like, so this <laughs> right. is like a, a snippet of what Cody ex- and his colleagues experienced in spring training. When I checked in, I was like, I don't think I've ever stayed in anywhere not my residence for eight straight nights. So it was, it was, it was wild. Uh, so, so at a certain point you just get used to it. You kind of forget you live somewhere else. Yeah. I came I home. It was, I came home and it was 104 and you know, and I'm like sweating in my house. I was like, it's a little bit different when you can just control the AC and don't care about the, uh, don't care how much it costs. <laughs> don't care about how much it costs. Uh, all right. Well, thank you everybody for listening, following on Twitter or excuse me, following on X at Cody Stavenhagen, at Kieran underscore Steckley, at Turn Corner Pod, YouTube page, Turn the Corner Podcast, Apple, Spotify for full audio version. I want to thank 
Cody for staying up late with me to get, hammer out this podcast real quick. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I am Karen Steckley. Everybody have a great rest of your week. <laughs>